in, everybody. Scott Bowden and Brian Last right along ringside and ready to go for another big day of Kentucky Fried Wrestling. And when I say big, I'm talking monstrous. I'm talking a look back at one of the biggest angles in the history of Memphis wrestling. And not only that, but there's no footage. There is absolutely no footage of this huge angle that occurred in October of 1974. It's the very first time that the king turned babyface and channeled his inner Dusty Rhodes and talked about the movement, the movement in Memphis and all his people, baby. To tell you more a little bit about that is my co-host, Brian Last. Thank you very much, Scott. We have a big show for you today. And like you said, we're going to talk about the very first babyface turn of Jerry the King Lawler. So many people talk about that 1974 turn in Florida when Dusty Rhodes turned babyface. This is the equivalent of that in Memphis. This comes right off the heels of the quest for the title, which we talked about last week on the show with Jerry Jarrett. Now we're going to see what happens next. We're going to follow Jerry Lawler's career as he has his first babyface turn, his first time having problems with his longtime manager, Sam Bass, and of course, eventually, his battle against the mummy. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yes, the debut of, as Lance Russell used to say, the mummy. (laughs) We got all that today. If we're going to get it all in, we better get to it. We'll be right back after this message. WHBQ Television has the only cartoon show beginning at 4 o'clock in the Memphis market. In fact, this fall, the Fun House is beginning its third successful year at 4. An instant success being a continuous rating winner from the first coincidental. 1963-64 average share, 40%. The various Fun House activities and the variety of giveaways help maintain a year-round interest. Cartoons, Fun House has them. A few of them are Popeye, The Three Stooges, Casper the Friendly Ghost, and the big one, taking Memphis and the Mid-South with a storm of popularity, the mighty Hercules. The master host of the Fun House is Hal Miller, Happy Hal, as he is known as the Pied Piper of the Mid-South. And to further enhance the complete domination of the kids' audience, Channel 13 schedules Hal as host on Cartoon Time, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m., catching the school-age kids before they leave home. On Saturday morning, a schedule of satisfying cartoons, rounding out the week, capturing kids, ratings, and sales for sponsors who take advantage of these popular programs. Weekdays, following our fun house at 5.30, The Rifleman, beginning the transition from children's programming into complete family viewing. The Rifleman, bad news for bad men. Watch for The Rifleman on this station. And we are back, and... Brian alluded to the fact that last week, Jerry Jarrett, the architect of Memphis Wrestling, talked about how the end result, the idea all along, was to build up the hometown superstar, the native of Memphis, Tennessee, the graduate of Treadwell High School, the guy who went to Memphis State University on an art scholarship before he decided to practice another kind of artwork on a different canvas. I'm talking about Jerry the King Lawler and the whole idea was slowly the fans would be dying to root for this guy. And the key to this working was that Lawler 
didn't really change his personality. The fans loved his smart aleck mouth. They loved the fact that he wrestled dirty. And so when this babyface turn happens, the fans have no idea that it's coming. And actually, the guy who taped this with a cassette recorder, I've mentioned it before, a displaced New Yorker by the name of Chip Namius. He starts recording this thing thinking it's just going to be another squash match. So he turns it off and you can hear him scrambling for the tape recorder when he realizes how big this angle is. He is seeing a guy who's supposed to be a heel, but a guy who he's been secretly cheering for and imitating on interviews all throughout his childhood. He's about to get his wish. He's about to see the king turn babyface. And we have that audio right now. It was in again. Now look up there in that ring. Put the camera on that punk up there. Can you get a shot of him real quick? Just put the camera on that. Tom, what's his name? Tommy Spires. Well, that's another jabroni. And I tell you, I don't wrestle jabronis. Now, when are you and that skinhead base going to learn that you're insulting the king, baby, by putting me in there with that jabroni? And I'm not wrestling. I'll tell you what, Sam. You don't have time to put on your clothes or tight man. Well, I'm gonna sit here and help Lance do the conversation. Wait a minute, King. I got a better idea. Why don't you get up there and beat his brains out in about two minutes? And then these other punks that say these jabronis they book against you won't show up. How about that? Why don't you get in the wrestle one time instead of trying to come Now, did you hear? Did you just hear? Why don't you shut up? We was having a good conversation. Did you put it in? Did you hear the man here? Now, that is a smart suggestion. You can think, Sam. I'm going to get in there, and I'm going to whip this punk, and then from now on, base, you can book these jabronis, but don't worry about them showing up, because I'm going to make an example out of this punk, and they won't show up to wrestle the king. I got news for you there. That's a good idea, Sam. We just may have had consent for Jerry Lawler to wrestle. Okay, so right there, an abrupt cut. Uh, Chip has uh, cut off the tape recorder because he thinks, you know, this is a match that he's seen a million times before. The King's going to go in there, beat this guy within an inch of his life, and leave him laying in about 30 seconds with that trademark smirk of his and walk off, and uh, he and Sam Bass are going to crow about it. However, that does not take place. Let's pick up the action midway through. Tommy Spires going against him in this match. From Memphis, Tennessee, 228 pounds with his manager, Sam Bass, Jerry the King Lawler. This match one ball. Thank <laughs> you. 
Hickerson are just wearing him up. One side is hit and badly cut open. And Green and Hickerson just continue to rattle on him. Sam strolling around out here. Saying he didn't need any help in there from anybody. Mr. Arnold. Waller in a lot of tough bouts. 
this was not a tough bout. This was an assassination by Al Green and Phil Hickerson in there, and Sam stood right over here. Lawler going against Tommy Spires. Lawler came out here before that match began and said that uh, Jerry Briscoe, the brother of the world champion, uh, due to a championship match with uh, Lawler and Jack Briscoe that's coming up in December, that Jerry Briscoe had made threats that he had gotten uh, other wrestlers in the area to promise that they would incapacitate Lawler before that match. Lawler said, of course, he didn't believe it. And then right there in that match, uh, Al Green, Phil Hickerson, after the comments made by Jerry Lawler out here, came in there and jumped in. Sam Bass stood aside and let him do it, and they proceeded to uh, really incapacitate Lawler for the time being anyway in there. Then the uh, second match of the day, about the, the uh, big championship match on December the 2nd with Jack Briscoe right here in Memphis for the world title. He was saying that it was Jerry Jarrett who had called him toward it and said that he had been contacted by uh, who he thought was Jerry Briscoe and uh, that he had told Briscoe he didn't need a part of that kind of money. And then uh, sure enough, and old Sojo had to say uh, when I caught him at the ring a minute ago was uh, he should have listened to uh, he should have listened to Luther Jarrett. And I think right there, I think I think the word Lance was looking for was ambush. Uh, <laughs> Not assassination. <laughs> I think uh, I think assassination was a, was a bit strong, but uh, obviously, and I like the way that Lance doesn't get too carried away. He really sounds like a guy who's in shock. You know, there appeared to be no bad blood between Lawler and Bass. Lawler has come out, whereas the dusty turn. I think was, you know, it, it had been sort of alluded to, right? Because Dusty was this outspoken, charismatic guy, and Gary Hart liked to take control of the interviews. The fans at least had the idea that they were the ones who turned him. Now, and I do think that the fans were dying to cheer for Lawler, but Lawler, up until this very moment, was still acting like he wanted absolutely nothing to do with him and was still showing Lance Russell zero respect, still thought Sam was the greatest thing in the world and still had a sharp mind and trusted him completely. And Al Green, first of all, gosh, if you're going to do this, why not go with Al Green and Phil Hickerson, two guys who have always just been magic. And Al Green, man, you, I, I can just see it in my mind, him stomping on the crown. The only crown that Lawler has at that point, which the story is that Sam gave him the crown, but of course we all know that Bobby Shane did, but he's stomping the crown and he's going, who's the king? And just goading the crowd. And it, you know, and it, and it immediately turns the crowd and they're, they're screaming, you know, for somebody to get out there and help him. But Hey, Lawler has been the most despicable heel that the territory has ever seen. So, you know, no baby phases are rushing out there. The heels don't know what to think. Uh, there may be in cahoots with Bass. And I love the way that they kind of string in the whole thing with the world title. I love it when things go back to the world heavyweight championship, that this is all a ploy by <laughs> Jerry Briscoe and Jack Briscoe. I, it's kind of funny because I, I know that when they turned heel in mid-Atlantic uh, years later, you know, Jack was like, yeah, you know, I always wanted to do that with my brother and work his heels. Well, they may not have known it, but they were heels in Memphis. <laughs> a couple of notes about this, Scott. First of all, in terms of the crowd reaction, it's interesting just because you don't usually see a two-on-one beating go on as long as this did. This went on for, what, five minutes, six minutes? Yeah. 
Yeah, because typically, you know, it almost seems like it goes on a little too long. But I think that that, again, is one of those little details. Because if Tojo had come out right away, it's sort of like, well, why is Tojo doing that? But finally, you know, Tojo, and he was the perfect one, too, because he had had an issue. He had been working tag matches with Jerry Jarrett as his partner against Green and Hickerson. So there was already some bad blood there. But you know, he's also been on the receiving end of Lawler's heel tactics. So he's not too sure about this. And we get to it a little later where Tojo admits that <laughs> Tojo is so great on the mic. People say, how did Tojo Yamamoto get over? You're about to find out because in his promo, he explains, uh, Mr. Lala, I respect you, but I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> and they're the ultimate odd couple, Lawler and Tojo. And uh, we're going to hear some of these promos. You know, and again, there's also some confusion about when exactly this happened because the first tag match with Lawler and Tojo against Hickerson and Green was on October 28th. However, Lawler was booked as a heel on October 21st against Eddie Marlin. The beating was so bad. And again, you can almost see it because, you know, Lance is talking about blood from head to toe and Lawler probably hit a gusher to sell this thing. Uh, You know, in those days, if a wrestler missed a week to sell an injury, that was a big deal. Because you would see these guys take beating after beating, but somehow, you know, they may come out limping. They're still selling it in the interview and all that kind of thing. But, you know, they're saying, well, nothing's going to keep me out of that ring this Monday night. I'm coming back even though I'm not 100%. Lawler's out for a full week to sell this thing. And again, to gain some sympathy and, and give fans time to accept this abrupt switch babyface. Well, it seems abrupt, but this is the plan Jerry Jarrett had all along. And another reason why no one would come out and save him is Lawler had been that character that you heard just a few minutes earlier on the mic with Lance with Sam Bass next to him. That arrogant heel. Why would any of the baby faces save him? Like you said, Tojo's the only one who had an issue because he had been having those matches, him and Jerry Jarrett against Al Green and Phil Hickerson. It made sense, and it made sense why no one came out for that long. And even Lance, it's not even like an impassioned plea. It's almost like, ah, oh, gosh, can we get some help? Out? You know, usually it's like, can we get some help out here? And he really pounds that bell. He almost reluctantly does it because he's been the target of Lawler's abuse. So it's really pulled off expertly, even though we can't quite see it unfold. I think we can all see it in our minds, right? You could visualize it. You just have to know what the Channel 13 WHBQ studio looked like. But that's one of the great things about this audio is that it's revealing a history that we otherwise wouldn't know. While we'll know that Lawler turned babyface, while we could see the results for the matches every Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum, to actually hear what was happening, because we can't see what was happening, is such a gift. Well, and one thing, too, that I think that Sam Bass plays up uh, masterfully, because it's sort of art imitating life because Jared, as he discussed last week, purposely salt Sam Bass out. You know, he's a seasoned veteran who could sort of guide the interviews until Lawler was comfortable. And then Lawler slowly became the mouthpiece. But inside, Sam's kind of stewing a little bit because Lawler's suddenly thinking that, you know, he's got this shot with Briscoe and nearly won the world title. And he thinks Lawler's getting a little too big for his britches. But there's actually a little underlayer to this that I don't think anybody has ever talked about the fact that the Briscoes were behind this, which is uh, just remarkable. Well, it is certainly alluded to that Jack and Jerry Briscoe may be behind this, but they don't want to go too strong in that direction for a very good reason. 
the Briscoes are not coming back. They're not mm. being brought back to Memphis. They're not going to be in the main event at any Mid-South Coliseum show. They've made their shots. They're back in Florida, and Jack is back as a touring champion. So they're using their previous involvement and the previous program with Lawler, the culmination of the quest for the title. They're using that, and they're putting all of that heat on Hickerson and Al Green. Yep, and that was one thing that Memphis was so good at. Put all the heat on the heels, baby. And what a good break it was for Phil Hickerson so early in his career. So many people think of Phil Hickerson with Dennis Condry, which is an all-time great team. And, of course, had a program that many people in the Nashville and would call the hottest program ever, which was their feud against Jackie Fargo a couple of years later. But here is Hickerson, relatively young in his career, teaming with a veteran who was already a major star in Memphis, Al Green. It instantly lends the credibility to Phil Hickerson. Oh, my gosh. And Al Green, of course, cut that great promo that everyone still talks about to this day. I think Dave Brown can actually cut that promo verbatim, the one where Green talks about Jackie Fargo's dad being a drunk and a dot an alcoholic, and then Fargo comes out with tears and, you know, just can't even complete his interview and has to walk off and, Green comes back out and says, ah, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. I, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry that I called Jackie Fargo's dad a stinking <laughs> drunk and that he died in a gutter, but it's true. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and of course that led to the infamous hair match. And he's the one who shaved the head of uh, Jackie Fargo. So, you know, he is just, I think he's so underrated as a heel in the Memphis promotion. And, you know, he was all but finished at one point, I think, in his career. Um, and I think had been hitting the bottle a little bit. Jerry Jarrett actually, I think, ran into him at a diner and said, hey, man, what are you doing? You still got a few good years left and reinvigorated his career. And it wasn't that hard because Don and Al Green were stars. Oh. Don and Al Green were major stars. And of course, you know, they had a long history there and it made perfect sense. I did want to ask you about a couple of uh, questions from the audio we just heard. And again, to the point of Don and Al Green being big stars, and in this case, it's Al Green with Phil Hickerson. One of the problems is there isn't that much footage of them. That's why this audio is so great, because you really get to hear them in the context of the show. How big were they in the promotion? You get to hear it here. But one of the people referenced, uh, I don't know too much about, and that's referee Sam Platania. You know, when we think of <laughs> Memphis wrestling, we think later on Jerry Calhoun, um, and maybe even a young Scott Bowden, some people might say. I don't know how many, but some people might say. And, of course, Paul Morton. But what do you know about referee Sam Platania? Man, gosh, you know, that's even a new one on me. Uh, the, the referee that, that I remember about that time is a guy by the name of Bill Mack. And actually, Jerry Lawler was recently talking about the first universal monster that made his appearance in Memphis, which we're going to get to a little bit later here. Uh, I told you we had a pack show. Uh, <laughs> he says that Bill Mack originally played the mummy because they wanted a guy who would sort of stagger around and not, it's sort of like Kamala with Sugar Bear Harris. He couldn't work a lick. So let's give him this jungle savage uh, gimmick and it'll be a natural for him because he doesn't know how to work. <laughs> he has no, you know, he, has, <laughs> he has no presence in the ring. He has no charisma and it, you know, and it just clicked. Uh, but uh, it's my understanding that by the time they got to the unmasking that, uh, well, I, again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but it actually turns out to be a Tennessee legend under the mask uh, when, when for the big finale in Memphis. And like you said, we're getting ahead of ourselves because we'll talk more about that later in the show, but a couple other notes for everyone out there who thinks that the rock was the first guy to say jabroni <laughs> on TV. Here's Jerry Lawler 
in October yeah. of 1974, saying it plenty of times on Memphis oh, TV. Absolutely. And really in, in, in that same cocky tone as The Rock. You know, this jabroni is not even worth my time. Uh, I, Lawler is I, maybe one of the first people to ever use that term on television. I don't know. Quite possibly, yeah. Well, and I remember when, uh, when we were talking about Quest for the title, and I meant to bring this up. Uh, I can only assume that Lawler got away with it because Jerry Jarrett is the one who created Mr. Wrestling 2. You know, he gave the gimmick to, you know, initially he wanted to bring Tim Woods in when he started booking Atlanta uh, to win the wrestling war. And Tim Woods couldn't come in right away. So he called Johnny Walker, who was thought to be in the twilight of his career, you know, was balding and everything and put him under a mask and he caught fire. Well, when he brought two in to face Lawler, Lawler revealed his identity on the air. <laughs> He's like, I know who that is. That's Johnny Walker. And we're going to unmask him. The big rubber man. Well, I'm going to bounce him around like a Super Bowl and I'm going to unmask him. And uh, I don't know how uh, I don't know how Walker felt about that or if he even knew until later. But uh, he only made the one shot in Memphis. So maybe he did find out later on. <laughs> But he is right in the sense that the rubber man, Johnny Walker, did have a long career. He had wrestled for a number of years in that territory. Yeah. So, you know, and maybe that was the reason, too, to kind of get that guy over. Because back then, you know, fans didn't see cable. They didn't know necessarily how big a star Mr. Wrestling 2 was. So uh, and uh, I believe we're going to pick right back up with some audio here. Now, Lawler has uh, again, he sat out a week, which, again, back in those days was a big deal. Uh, but he comes back out. He's ready to resume action with the unlikely partner of Tojo Yamamoto. And one great thing about this, and again, Lawler doesn't immediately shift to being, uh, you know, this pleasant, nice guy. He even, I believe, <laughs> I believe he tells Tojo to shut up at one point. I'm the mouthpiece for this tag team. But there is that little uh, Dusty-ism in him. You know, he's got this Dusty Rhodes vibe he's trying to work when he starts talking about the movement. But uh, I don't want to steal the King's Thunder here. Let's roll, uh, let's roll the tape. Either that, or it's either the fact that they realize 
that they were in the king's shadow and they weren't going to get on a main event. Now, everybody knows it. You know it and I know it that the money is made on a main event, baby. And money is the name of the game. And they realized that as long as the king was in Memphis, they weren't going to get on a main event unless they were wrestling against him because they're not good enough. So that's either that or the reason that I said before about the bounty is the reason they jumped me. And I didn't realize that that much jealousy could be brewing inside Sam Bass. All these two and a half long years, like I told you last week, we've been together. And then he pulls something like this. Well, I got news for you. Monday night, Sojo Yamamoto, and I'm through trusting people except for this man right here. I will trust him because he helped me when he didn't have to help me. He had nothing to gain, Lance, by coming in there. As a matter of fact, he put himself up to a lot of public ridicule because a lot of people in Memphis don't like me. And I'm not, I'm not denying that. And he, he put himself up to ridicule because a lot of people thought less of him for coming in there and helping me. But he did. He had nothing to gain and to gain, and he helped me. So I'm going to trust him and Jerry Jerry because he's the one that told me about the plot to begin with. And together, Sojo and I have got a Monday night. And I'm going to make Green and Hickson and Sam Bass regret the day that they jumped on a team. Well, it's been, uh, been a while, Jerry, since you've been in tag matches. You've been wrestling uh, as a single, and I thought maybe that uh, you would have uh, preferred to wrestle maybe as Well, as a matter of fact, you can ask Faith. Uh, I contacted him right away, and I said, give me a single match. Green first, Hickerson first, I don't care who, just give me some single matches, and they refused to wrestle in single matches, Lance, and they said they're a tag team, so I, I contacted Tojo, and he's a little anxious to get at him himself, so we'll, we'll just take more tag teams. Tojo Jerry did uh, say something that uh, is absolutely true. There were some people who uh, were a little critical of you coming in here when, when Dickerson and Green last week were uh, flailing Jerry Lawler to that because a lot of people uh, don't like Jerry's mouth and a lot of other things about Jerry. You came in here and really got him out of a tight spot, and you're going to be back wrestling as his tag partner. Well, Mr. Lance, I want to tell you, there's a lot of jealousy in this business. You know, like, uh, like uh, the king said, he's the king, and uh, I believe he's the king because he got the belt. He's proven to me, he's proven to all his fans that he's a king, he can wrestle. I give him credit for that like, because he puts, uh, what, what, what's the sign is that put the word where he belongs, you know, like uh, he said, he's a king, I admire him. And I tell you what, Mr. Land Russell, I wanna, I'm going out there get revenge for what they done to my protege, and I feel very disappointed what they done to my protege. Like I said, he, like his wrestling business is getting the worst way. They try to plan a plot and try to tear off somebody, try to hurt somebody. That don't go with me, Mr. I just uh, reviewed that uh, tape again, and I feel very, very sad that uh, my project got uh, a little fractured on the grid. And I tell you what, man, this time now that I have King, I know, I know King, I, I, I know he's a Memphis King, I admire a lot of admiration. And then, beside him, you have the Honorable Imperial. I'm not bragging on Hattie, Mr. Lance also, but I want to tell you too, Lola. Lola, I don't like you. I don't trust you and everything, but we get some job to be done. When somebody plan a plot and try to hurt you, try to cripple you, you know it's going to hurt your pocketbook. It's going to hurt my pocketbook, too. All I want to go inside here is stick these two big fat septic tanks. And I tell you, I mean it, Mr. Lanzo. It's a king and myself, we're going to do it. He's going to be still remain as a king, and I'm going to still remain as honorable imperial wrestler because I tell you, I won't let these two big septic tanks like that 
beat me and the king because I'd be too ashamed to face you, Mr. Land Russell, and all the Memphis fans. Because I tell you what, it's too septic that won't be sleeping because I'll be in the, in the car or in his house or every shadow he sees, Mr. Land Russell, that too septic tank will be scared. And I tell you, this time going to be worse. When I chop him, he's not going to say, woo, he's going to be drunk. And I tell you, Mr. Land Russell, every time he's down, Laura, I want you to beat him and beat him back till he don't, they don't stand up no more. Because if you don't go in, you know what I'm going to do, Mr. Lawler. You know that, King. Oh, Joe, I got, I, I got one thing to say. I'm not used to this. On the teams I've been on, I'm used to doing the talking. And if you don't mind, you just shut up there and let me see it. Exactly what he said, Lance, is true. Hey, I signed autographs out here today, and it's a funny feeling, man. But I feel now, I feel like there's a movement. Can you get a shot? Can you get a shot over there? And I love that. Uh, I love that little moment too, where Lance still has his doubts a little bit. You know, it's still kind of that back and forth that they used to have when they used to antagonize each other a little bit. When Lawler would run his mouth, and Lance goes, "Oh, Jerry, it's going to take a little bit more in conversation." And King says, hey, don't worry about it. You know, I, I realize that. And I love, uh, I didn't really know that that was an old saying. You can't, you can't keep a good King down, but, uh, but apparently it is. And I, you know, uh, and again, you can see like, I, I guess Lawler has, you know, sort of observed how Dusty Rhodes is getting over and all this kind of stuff. And I almost expected him to say, you know, too sweet to be sour, tower power and all that kind of stuff. Talking about the the movement and his people and Memphis baby and all this kind of stuff. And uh, and again, I just love that little moment where, you know, he, he's not suddenly changing his personality. He's telling Dojo, hey, shut up, Dojo. Let me, you know, let me let me do the talk. Let the king do the talking. Uh, just some some great stuff there. And finally, the fans get to laugh along with his arrogance for the yes. first time. It's the first time they can go, oh, that's that arrogance from Jerry Lawler that we never liked. But now we love. Like, yeah. It's pretty instant. You heard the crowd reaction to him. It's pretty impressive there. And in terms of the Dusty style promos, you know, we talked about this last week with Jerry. We played some audio. It's the only time you'll ever hear Jerry say baby. I'm sure is this brief period of time here. You know, we've heard him call people son and boy and let me tell you something, but we've never heard baby until this time here. But I'd love to know what went in his mind when he decided, you know, I probably should stop doing this Dusty Rhodes style promo. I don't need it because that's really yeah. what it is. Yeah. He didn't need it. He was such a good communicator that to turn baby face, he didn't need it. He actually just needed to stay himself and make minor adjustments. Yeah, and for the most part, he did. I think, I think you know, some of the babyface stuff was forced. But when he's just kind of being himself, and he's still kind of being a you know a smart ass with with his partner, he just started. And too, I think it's really funny too. This is the only man I can trust. Which 
you know, at this point, Tojo was a beloved baby base, but for years he was, you know, the sneaky Jap who Pearl Harbored everybody. Uh, and those are certainly not my words, but those were words yeah. that were very often repeated uh, on a wrestling program back then. And just the way I love Tojo, you know, Jim Cornette talks about it. Like he just had this thing, you know, where he was so sneaky, the way he moved around the ring, you know, he would interfere with his wooden shoe. You talk about, you know, J.J. Dillon had that loafer that he used to hit people with and knock people out. I'm telling you, man, the wooden shoe that Toto had was over, like, man, it might as well have been uh, hit with a shotgun blast, uh, getting hit with his wooden shoe. And it was legit, because when he actually did really hit you with that, it really did feel like a shotgun blast because I've heard stories of people yes. being hit with those wooden shoes. Yes, and that's another point to bring up too. It's sort of like a in- little inside deal here because you know they had done the angle where Jerry Jarrett uh, had been Tojo's secret protege and he had been training him and then Tojo was a heel and, and he sees his protege getting beating up in the ring and he, and he makes the save. So, yeah, and uh, Tojo references the fact that Green and Hickerson were the ones who beat up his protege, Jerry Jarrett. And it's funny how Jerry Jarrett has also kind of worked into this angle because he's the one, even though he had differences with Lawler, you know, he's the big baby face. He gets wind of this bounty on the king's head. He says that Jerry Briscoe called him and offered him some money. He goes, hey, I don't want to take any blood money. And he even warns Lawler about it. Lawler ah, blows it off or whatever. So that's another reason why Tojo goes out to make the save. Because it's almost like he's reliving this experience again where he sees this young kid being uh, butchered by these guys. And he has a flashback to perhaps when you know they beat Jerry Jarrett to a pulp. And a lot of people don't know this, but in a way, Lawler was also Tojo's protege. Because back in those days, if a kid wanted to get into the business... Man, you had to wrestle Tojo around the horn, and Tojo would absolutely beat the hell out of you. And I know that uh, Lawler and Tojo rode to towns together, and Tojo was always trying to get Lawler to perfect his facial expressions, which later on, I think the king had to be probably in the top 10 of all time as far as psychology and facial expressions and those kinds of things. And he always gave credit to Tojo Yamamoto. He would tell me, boy, the matches were brutal, but those would only be like five minutes long. A car ride with Tojo would be like three hours. (laughs) And he's going, no, 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 no. That's not good enough. When you should be in so much pain that the guy in the nosebleeds sees how much agony you're in. Like, and he would just grab Lawler in the stomach or in the chest and start twisting or his ear or his nose. And Lawler's like, ah, and Lawler's like nearly running off the road. And he's, Tojo's like, yes, yes, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. So, uh, so yeah, so in, in a way, it's sort of like history's repeating itself because behind the scenes, Tojo did care a lot about, uh, about Lawler. He also did the same thing with Tommy Rich. You know, he helped break Tommy Rich in. So uh, Tojo was just a legend. And if there were, ever there's any mystery how Tojo got over, he just had this unique charm that uh, that no one else quite had, not only in Memphis wrestling, but really in, in wrestling history. Just a unique guy. Absolutely, there aren't too many people his size that got over to the no. level he did. <laughs> anyway, I know Memphis has had some shorter wrestlers like Bill Dundee, but Tojo's at another level. And he was established as a star, and he stayed a star and attraction and someone who everyone knew from being on TV up until the early 90s. Yeah, and drew money, you know, and was able to, you know, it's really difficult 
for a territory that ran every week in all these different towns, it's really difficult for a guy to switch back and forth convincingly and draw money. But Tojo, Lawler, and handsome Jimmy Valiant, and even Dundee later on, they were able to do it. And one of the things you hear in this audio is just how different babyface Tojo is from heel Tojo, <laughs> who's a maniac. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And uh, again, at some point, uh, gosh, you know, when we talk about some of the late great Lance Russell moments, I just uh, that one of the most heated angles in ever in the history of Memphis wrestling uh, when. You know, because nobody ever touched Lance, but Lance and Tojo are getting at it. And Tojo's like, man, he would just get into the moment. You know, everything was sort of on the fly, really. And he starts going after Lance and he's covered in blood. I think there was yellow paint. I think they had tried to paint Jeff Jarrett yellow. And Lance pulls out a hammer. He's like, Tojo, <laughs> I don't have any doubt in my mind you could kill me. But if you take one step at me, I'm going to get at least one good look in with this hammer, buddy. And uh, man, it's just, oh, just great stuff. What do we have next in terms of audio, Scott? I, I guess we go to a squash match. And again, this is ordinarily the time when uh, when Chip would kind of cut it off because Chip is all about the promos, especially the Lawler promos. So as Tojo goes uh, to the ring to face Dr. X, which I can assure you was not Dick Byer, the, uh, the AWA World Heavyweight Champion at one point. This is some jabroni under a mask. And Lawler uh, goes, you know, why do we even want to do this? Why do we even want to go to the second fall? Why don't I just go over here and talk to my people? And so Lawler, so Lawler gets up and he's making the rounds. And apparently there's, there's an African-American woman in the audience who has been very vocal in her support of the king. But Lawler doesn't quite get the reaction that he's looking for here, but he rolls with it on live television. <laughs> shooting his mouth off, well, he, he better be shooting it off today because after Monday night, when Tojo and I get through with him this week, he's not going to be out here next week to shoot his mouth off because we're not going to stop this week. We stopped at one point and was ready to leave the ring, left him laying there. That was our mistake. We're not going to stop this week. Al Green and Hickerson, when we get you in that ring, baby, this week, I want you to know. You might as well give your soul to the Lord because you know what is mine, baby. And I got you in there Monday night, me and Tojo, and I ain't stopping. <laughs> Tojo, uh, we weren't sure in all the confusion exactly what happened until we saw the film. It was Green who got you from behind in there as you were trying to leave the ring. Well, all I know is that me and the king, we just beat the two big hippos, uh, big fat hippos' uh, brains out. And I tell you, that wasn't enough. Me and, jo uh, me and the king made one mistake. We forgot to leave them laying in the ring. But this time, Monday night will be different. Me and the king will put them two guys on the stretcher. But otherwise, you won't satisfy. Right, king? That's exactly right. And one thing I want to know, and I wish you had took the opportunity to ask that fat slob, is what happened to Sam Bass? Yeah, that was one I forgot to ask, too, as a matter of fact. Sam Bass has been conspicuously absent since uh, they jumped on you here. Very conveniently absent. He hasn't been around you too Yeah, much. well, he wasn't there Monday night. Now, I see again on the card that he's booked. He's supposed to be there Monday night. And I just hope and pray that he will be there because he hasn't got anything that what's coming to him yet. And he's got a little bit in store for him Monday night, too. You all going to change any kind of tactics or both of you going to just uh, wrestle that same firebrand of wrestling you did last Monday, Jerry? Well, I don't see why we should change the tactics all we're going to do is just continue where we stopped last week. That was our only mistake. We stopped. This week, we're not going to let the bell stop us. They can ring the bell after we've pinned them and tell us to quit, but we're not quitting this week, baby. I want you to remember that, Al Green and Phil Hickerson. You're not stopping the King and Tojo this week. 
So you just get ready for it Monday night. Well, there it is. And uh, we saw just uh, on the film exactly how rugged it could get. But I know that when it comes to Tojo and Lawler, they don't fear any of that rugged wrestling. Well, like I said, I said the king, the king got the KO punch, and I got the judo chop, and I, these two big septic tanks, they don't worry us, uh, Lance. And like I said, uh, like I told the king, is I said, let's go out, and let's put a little more scars on the head, and let's put them on a the stretcher. Well, that's and, what I'll... Uh, and tonight, uh, me and King will be in Jonesboro. We're going to take over some of the guys who have put you on... What, bounty? Yeah, yeah. We're still wondering about this bounty, that apparently there's a bounty on my head, and uh, two two of these other guys, these Frenchmen, are going to have a chance to collect it tonight. We're just going to give them that chance, right, Tojo, over in Jonesboro? Ooh, that should be some kind of match over there, because this Bonet and Pierre have looked very, very strong and hard. But I'm looking forward to that Monday night action, and right now, if we can get Tojo to head to the ring, by golly, we're looking forward to some action right here, and we'll wish you good luck. It's not going to be easy with Dickerson and Green. Okay. Huh? Would that be all right? Yeah, yeah, come on in, uh, Jerry. You take my chair, and after Davey uh, does the introductions, we'll uh, we'll be ready to go. Let me ring the bell. Well, if I can get the hammer turned around. Just take that microphone right there, Jerry. Tojo Yamamoto in the ring right now, and I think uh, it was pretty evident, Jerry, last uh, last Monday night, the fact this guy is some kind of partner to have. Get a shot of this, Lance. Here's another classic example. Mr. Bates, I see you've done it again. Let's go to the ring in the introductions, Dave Brown. Dave. Your main event of the day, this one goes to the expiration of time. The, the man with the most falls to his credit when the time expires will be the winner of the match. Introducing first... At 200 pounds from parts unknown, Mr. X going against him in this match today. From Japan, 232 pounds, Tojo Yamamoto. This match to the expiration of time, referee Sam Platania. There are the introductions, and we're about ready for wrestling action. A single match, spell time, and here we go. And here comes Dave. Uh, Have a seat here with the king, Dave. All right. Mr. X, we don't know a thing about. Well, I can tell you a thing about him right fast. That's a classic example of a jabroni, Dave. And you watch what Tojo Yamamoto does him. Look at the body on that guy. He'd have to run around twice to cast a shadow. I'd say ring the bell any time, Dave. If I had a towel, if I had a towel with me, I'd have thrown it in for that guy. Oh. Man, with that abdominal grab. We've seen Kojo use that before. He's most effective on it, and he wastes no time. Less than a minute. 53 seconds was the time. 53 seconds total time on this match. I think you can see, Dave, I think you can see why that if you're going to be in a tag team match, Kojo's the kind of partner you need in there with you. Well, you're right about that. We've said many times, one thing you do not ever do is make Tojo Yamamoto mad because he's tough enough when he's not mad. When he gets mad, he's Woo! something else. That's just the first Better call, next too. time, kid. Oh, yeah. we got some more with that? That's right. This oh, is expiration boy. of time. I think we're probably going to have time maybe to get another fall started here. The first one goes to Tojo in 53 seconds. So we'll check time and we'll be back and talk more about it in just a moment. With, I guess we have to call him guest commentator. He came in and decided to be our guest. I've Jerry got a Lowe. suggestion, Lance, if you don't mind. I think the, the most generous thing we could do for that Mr. X, we don't have too much time left. Rather than have him back out here and have Tojo beat his brains out again and humiliate him on his TV, how about if I go here and talk a little bit to my people? We only got a minute in. Can I do that? Yeah, you can huh? do that. Is the microphone over here? Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Gary Lawler. 
Heading over by the crowd. Now, fine. Right on. All righty. I love this. I love this signing autograph bit, Lance. It's great, man. Who's, now, tell the truth. Who is the greatest wrestler you've ever seen? All right. Let me get back in here. Hey, I think I'm going to get over here where I can hear what he says. I don't want to apologize. Hello there. Up. Here she is. Get the camera on her. This is, this is my number one fan right here. Can you see her? Now, now tell the truth. You didn't used to like me, did you? No, I did. But now, do you love me? No, honey. <laughs> I know what it is. Your boyfriend's out there watching. You don't want to make her jealous. That's it. Her boyfriend's watching. She don't want to make her jealous, man. Oh, by the way, I want to mention... Listen, Lance, I love this talking to these people. After a while, at 3 o'clock, I'm going to be over at Pop Tunes on Summer Avenue. So if all you people come out there, say hello to everybody and give away some pictures and things like that. Will that be okay, Lance? Okay, yeah. I don't know whether we can let you say that or not, but pardon me. Oh, well, I just said it, so if you can't, we're in a lot of trouble. All right, we'll stroll back down here. I don't exactly know what happens when uh, Jerry Bad News Lawler is around, but all of a sudden we seem to lose control of the show. Here. Have, you, <laughs> have you noticed, Lance? Have you noticed? We got a thing going here in Memphis now. Now, these are my people now, and they're going to get behind me and support me. And Al Green and Phil Hickerson, man, they're going to come out there Monday night. And when the king hits the ring, it's going to be 10,000 of my people out there, Green and Hickerson. I want you to realize that, baby. And you just look around that Coliseum, you're going to see all my people. And you're going to know that not only are they hoping that you get your brains out, but the king and Tojo Yamamoto is going to be there to do the job on you, baby. Monday night. There is. Well, the... Uh most interesting and controversial uh, characters that we've seen around this sometime. Yes. Jerry Lawler, and he is uh, 24 years old. He's got a world title match coming in December. Remember a return crack, if he lives that long, to go against Jack Briscoe. Uh, Lawler in the last battle with Briscoe, uh, to give the devil his due, he had him right in the center of the ring in there. And... Uh, the referee, uh, with the help of Jerry Briscoe, found a little item like a chain that uh, disqualified Lawler. He's going to have another crack at it. It'll be coming up December the 2nd, I believe. In so I think First week of December. Yeah, yeah, right. Hey, want to remind you. Okay, and right there we uh, we get to see the beginning of the bond between uh, the king and all his loyal subjects. Although one was a little hesitant to uh, to say that she loved him necessarily, but uh, she definitely doesn't hate him anymore. And uh, sort of a maybe a sort of a love hate relationship going on there with that one young lady, uh, but she rolled with it fine. And uh, I guess right after this, they quickly uh, Tojo and Lawler quickly uh, chopped down. Uh, Green and Hickerson. And so Sam is left to turn to the supernatural. He unearths the very first universal monster in Memphis wrestling history to finish off the king, to put the king in a tomb of his own. I'm talking about the mummy. Big monster mummy. And here he is, the king himself. First of all, Lance, I want you to... See here that I got me a brand gotcha. new crown. Brand new one, didn't you, Jerry? What's a king without a crown, huh? You got it. Okay. Now what are we going to talk about? First? I wanted to talk about that uh, mummy. You won 
last week. Uh, it was a case where, and we're going to have an opportunity to see the film of it a little later, but where the mummy uh, toured right on out of the ring and he tooled <laughs> on back to the dressing room with Sam hanging on. Yeah, that he did. But, uh, pardon me, but before we talk about the mummy, can we talk about that Al Green and Hickerson match just for a second? Do that. I don't blame you. By golly, uh, we had Tojo out here, and I had to... Uh, had to congratulate Tojo for both of you that uh, you won the championship. Now, what can Sam Bass be thinking right now? He used to be probably the most successful manager in wrestling. He had not only one champion and myself in the, in the Southern Heavyweight Champion, but he had Al Green and Phil Hickerson as the Southern Tag Team Champions. And in that feeble mind of his, Bass, you sat out there and you thought that with Al Green and Phil Hickerson, you could do me in and have uh, still have three champions. Well, now, Bass, you're left holding the bag, and you've got nothing but a bunch of rags and a mummy because Al Green and Phil Hickerson don't have them belts anymore. I'm still the Southern Heavyweight Champion, and now Tojo and I are the tag team champions, and you, Bass, have nothing. So I hope you realize just how smart that little move you made right here was. And I still got that first payment to give you on that little return on that move you made, Bass. And after I beat this mummy Monday night, he's agreed, right? He's agreed to wrestle me after I beat this mummy? Yes, sir. There's no question about that. Well, he went out. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to sell this mummy short. i got to admit to the mm. people, and you'll see on a film, that I was a little overconfident. This guy turned out to be something else. But he's nothing more than just a man, Lance Russell, and I can beat any man that steps in that ring. But what he did, Sam Bass took this jerk and he wrapped him. He's got him so padded up that it's unbelievable. I punched that guy and he never went off his feet. He's got pads all over his body inside that suit of his and inside that mask. And then he's got something in his arm. I don't know if you saw it, but the people's going to see it. Well, you bet. He throws you in a rope and he sticks his arm out. I don't know if you, did you see the longest yard? No, I haven't seen that. Well, anyway, this, this guy in the movie did the same thing. He throws a guy in the ropes there, and he holds his arm out, and when you run into it, he's got something from about his forearm to his to his wrist there taped inside that sleeve of his. It's either metal or, or, the, or a cast or something, but it's the hardest thing I've ever run into. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do with that mummy. I put the heat on him last Monday night, and he got scared, and he ran out of the ring, and Bass, like you said, Bass came out from the dressing room for the first time of the night, and he grabbed the mummy, tried to get him to get back in the ring, and he wouldn't come. Well, this time, he's not going to be able to get out of the ring. And I'm going to finish off that mummy once and for all, and I'm going to have to, if it takes, if what it takes is unraveling him and beating the man underneath the mummy, maybe I can't beat the mummy, but I can sure take that clown suit off of you, and I can beat the punk that's underneath that suit. And if that's what I have to do, that's what I'm going to do, Bass, because I want you, baby. And when I beat that mummy, I'm going to get you, Bass. Well, he's already said that if you beat him, and you did beat him this last Monday night, as a matter of fact, uh, Bass the, uh, the bout will be, and the thing that the folks may or may not have picked up in there, that it will be encased in wire, the ring, so that there's no leaving for the mummy, but there's also no leaving for Jerry Lawler. And I think uh, I mentioned it on the commentary of the film, Jerry. I think, in fact, you did take him a little light, and you started out thinking it yeah. was a big joke, and boy, I'll tell you what, he almost beat your brains off there at first. Yeah, well, he came on real strong, but we're just going to see how strong he can come on Monday night when he realizes he's got to know when they put up that bull wire that he ain't going to be able to walk out of the ring Monday night. So he's going to have to stay in there. When the heat starts going in the kitchen, boy, you can't get out this time, mummy. And I'm going to unravel you, and I'm going to beat you, and then I want that bass waiting right there in line. You've laid it out clear and clean on the line, and we're going to be looking forward to that return. 
Okay, so right there, I guess, uh, wow, we just solved a mystery because uh, earlier, Brian, I know that we were talking on the uh, 605 Facebook page about the first time that Lawler used the fire after facing the Sheik. And uh, I had a theory that perhaps Lawler had used it in a rematch with the Sheik, but I don't believe that that match happened until uh, the following year after Lawler came back as a babyface. So, I, you know, I thought it was a matter of fighting fire with fire. But if you're going in there with a the movie monster, if you're going in there with Frankenstein or the mummy, you know, typically the town villagers would come after that thing with the torch. So the king, hey, fight fire with fire. He's going to throw fire at the mummy and try to burn the bandages off of him and unravel him. Uh, and I think, um, gosh, it goes to show you just how cocky Lawler was at the time because, man, who goes in there and underestimates a mummy? A question rarely asked uh, in not just wrestling history, but in society. Um, you asked you asked a question about the mummy, but I, I really don't want to answer it until you once again do your impression of Lance Russell introducing the mummy. Ah, uh, the mummy. <laughs> As only he could do it. As only he could do it. And I love the fact, you know, we, talk, we talked about uh, how the Sheik was the one who taught Lawler the fireball gimmick. And I guess perhaps he debuted it here and sent the mummy running. Um, I thought perhaps, you know, again, it was a, maybe with a rematch with the Sheik, but that didn't happen until later. So, uh, wow, we solved the mystery there. So that's good. We unraveled a mystery uh, via the mummy. And so that was kind of cool to figure that out. Had the mummy ever been in the Tennessee territory before? Had Benji Ramirez, the famous mummy ever been there? You know, I'm not sure. I know that my, I was talking with Mike Shields and we're going to have Mike on the show at some point because I would love to have guys who were part of that scene. You know, Mike was a legendary uh, cameraman and also a photographer. And to me, with the possible exception of Cornette, no one captured the arrogance of the king quite like Mike Shields. His work uh, largely uh, went uh, without a byline for whatever reason in magazines like Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Inside Wrestling. And gosh, just the there's just something about the way that Mike uh, was able to capture that just the, the legendary smirks, uh, the, the hill charisma that Lawler had. Uh, no one did it quite like uh, Shields again, with the possible exception of uh, of Jimmy Cornette. And uh, I was asking him because I was seeing these great shots, and we have them on my Facebook page at Kentucky Fried Wrestling on Facebook, and I believe I posted some on Twitter uh, at Trav Scott Bowden, where we have Jackie Fargo who is nailing a mummy with everything but the kitchen sink in what appears to be Nashville. And what Mike was telling me was that. Ron Wright very well could have been the uh, mummy in, uh, in Memphis. And actually for the big finale, at any rate, it turned out to be Ron Wright because he, he was forced to unmask. But uh, he said that they would have multiple mummies wrestling uh, throughout the territory on different nights. So I think several guys probably played the role. And I'm going to guess as I think about it, that the mummy would have been in Tennessee maybe in the late 60s because I believe Jim Cornette told me that Eddie Marlin once played the mummy. Really? And okay. it would have been before this. Okay. But we'll find out more about that because you bring up Mike Shields. He'll be on the show. Jim Cornette is also on the docket to be a guest on the show pretty soon. So that'll definitely be one of the things we ask him about. Well, you know, and that's one of the things, too, that I think that is so great about this show and, and talking with, you know, guys like Mike Shields and Jim Cornette. It's, you know, the business was so protected for so long. And you're really, it's trying to, it's like you're trying to 
fit these pieces of a mystery together, right? And you're trying to, you know, look at the record books and try to figure out exactly what the heck was going on. Because again, it was such a closely guarded business and, uh, you know, news traveled slow in those days. So it's really interesting. I mean, I, gosh, you, you learn something all the time uh, if, you, uh, you know, if you just take the time to listen to somebody else. That's really true. And, you know, one of the things I've recently done is purchase some old wrestling programs from various territories. Just because those in many ways are the only record we have of the feuds. We have the results, but we don't always have the ins and outs, the angles, the promos. What happened? What caused these two guys to be in the main event? With this, we're very fortunate because we have this audio. But for yeah. so many years, it was just people, you know, there were people taking some records, but there were a lot of people just guessing about when things happened and what exactly was said. And this is our chance to really know for sure what was said. Yeah, and I, I remember uh, reading uh, Jim Cornette's very detailed book about the history of Tuesday Nights at the Garden, and he was talking about how he missed the Lawler babyface story because he was at his Aunt Lola's house and he couldn't, he didn't, he never got to see the episode. But from what he gathered, it was that Lawler was getting a little too big for his britches, which I think Sam Bass does a great job you know, kind of taunting Lawler. He's like going, oh, Lance, he's the king. He did this all by himself. He, get, you know, he uh, got a shot with Jack Briscoe. It was all him. So, you know, in Sam's mind, it was like, this kid, we need to teach him a lesson. You know, he's not, he's, he's forgetting where he came from. Sam Bass is the one that put him on that throne and I'm going to be the one to knock him off. And Sam is just sitting in a chair saying all these things while Lawler is bloodied up for five minutes straight by Henderson <laughs> and Al Green. So it definitely has the impact. And pretty quickly, the sympathy goes right to Jerry Lawler. And Sam Bass really is the perfect guy for that role because he really is somewhat unlikable as that guy. Like, yeah. He really is. Yeah, he just kind of, you know, adds that little two cents in there at the, uh, you know, with that, it's almost like he's chewing on barbed wire or something. Uh, just, uh, just a great, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but just one of those great, old-time Southern heels who knew how to get heat. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. I, I, it just, I, I sampled that on a very small level, and I so wish I could go back in time and experience it. Now, I don't want to get, you know, burned with cigarettes and hit with batteries and all these things that these guys were, you know, stabbed on the way to the ring sometimes. Uh, gosh, it's all kinds of crazy stuff that these guys had to endure back then. But man, oh man, it must have been a hell of an adrenaline rush. And while we never really got to hear any of this stuff before, we knew what Jerry Lawler was like. We knew what Tojo was like. Sam Bass is a little different because he died in 76. So yeah. this is two years, or actually not even a full two years, maybe a year and a half before he passed away. So this is really one of the best examples of what he was like in that studio wrestling setting, because the footage, the little footage that survives of Sam Bass really doesn't give you that example. Yeah, and I was talking, I was actually talking with Jerry Lawler about some of, some of the auto clips that we had, and he was really interested. And we're going to have, we're definitely going to have Jerry on at some point to uh, to go over some of these clips and take a walk down memory lane. And he asked me, and he and he meant this not in a disparaging way towards Sam, but he asked me, he goes, you know, Scott, you grew up watching Memphis wrestling. I mean, uh, do do fans remember him? Do, do people your age do, do they even know about him? And I say, oh gosh, Jerry, he's almost taken like this mythical form. 
you know, he's on this pedestal because there's not a lot of footage. And we do know that that's when you first started experiencing all the success. You know, you were uh, climbing uh, the the rankings for, uh, I believe it was the following year. They were sort of trying to create that quest for the title thing again. And Lawler was slowly knocking off the contenders. And I believe he had just beaten Harley Race uh, in Memphis. And on the way to Nashville, Sam perished in a car accident and, you know, really tore Lawler up. Uh, He and uh, Terry Jarrett, you know, had some spirited discussions over some of Sam's uh, drinking. But I think it is a testament to just how close knit that Memphis wrestling family was and about how much they cared for one another. Uh, Jerry Jarrett tells me the story that uh, when he realized that Lawler was not in the car and Lawler saw Jarrett that both of them embraced and started crying. You know, it was such a, such a tragic moment. And I think shortly thereafter, Don Green, Al Green's brother, said, you know what? I've had a good run. I've never been in a car accident. I'm walking away. And that played a factor in his decision to retire. And I think there are fans that know about Sam Bass, because unlike a lot of these guys that we talk about and that we're going to be talking about, the legends of Memphis wrestling, Al Green, for example, Mm. the average wrestling fan does not know Al Green or Don and Al Green, the heavenly bodies, or Al Green and Phil Hickerson. They don't know these guys, the average wrestling fan, not the average Memphis wrestling fan, but your run-of-the-mill wrestling fan. There's a chance they may know Sam Bass. Because I knew Sam Bass as a kid because I would see his picture in a magazine. They would say, Lawler had a manager, Sam Bass, who had a car accident and died. And you would see them together with the matching, it's not even a goatee, it's the <laughs> matching, you know, chin strap of hair. I don't know what to call it. Well, well that was that was supposed to be the crown shape. Right. right. Yeah, the crown shape goatee, yeah. And they both had it. And yeah. because of that, and because Jerry has had such a storied career, I actually think there are more fans that know of Sam Bass than most of that era's legends of Memphis wrestling. Yeah. And I really hope I don't, like I said, I have all these cassettes that I'm going through with, uh, thanks to my good friend, Chip Namius. And uh, also I want to give a shout out to Rick Crane over at seventies TV.com. He's been kind enough to give us some audio as well. And that's one thing that I really hope comes from this Kentucky fried wrestling podcast. You know, these guys deserve the recognition. You know, there's not a lot of footage around, but we do have this classic audio that just gives you a glimpse into how natural these guys were. And, They not only knew how to cut a promo that would get you to hate them, but they knew the kind of promos to cut that would draw money, that would get people to pay, not negative heat, that would get people to pay to go see him get beat up. And there is no doubt in my mind that that's why Jim Cornette was such a natural. I think Jim probably, I know Bobby Heenan is without a doubt probably the greatest manager of all time, but Jim is a close second because Jim was great at talking people into the building to see him get his ass whipped. (laughs) And he was great at using so many of those lines that Jerry Lawler had made famous. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, I think growing up watching Jerry Lawler, if you were someone who paid really close attention and cared a lot about it, it's hard not to have that have a big influence on you and the way you talk and your ability to talk. Right. And, you know, and th- th- again, I, I know I sometimes bring up my first interview with Lance Russell. I'll probably do it every show. Uh, but there's this one little thing that I, I didn't even know I was doing it uh, until I went back and watched it. And Lance is kind of talking, to, you know, Batman. He goes, uh, Eddie Marlin couldn't be here today. And I roll my eyes and I do. And it's such a Lawler thing, you know, where I'm like, good, you know, good. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just me imitating Lawler. 
uh, you know, on an unconscious level. That was nothing that I was doing. It was just something that, you know, I had seen Lawler do for so many years and without even knowing it, I stole it. <laughs> oh, it's uh, man, it, it was a special territory without a doubt. And all these classic Southern heels who just, man, they knew how to draw money. The baby faces knew the exact kind of pro, uh, promos to cut as well. And most of all, those baby faces, they knew how to sell. Eddie Marlin can't be here today. He's the mummy in Tupelo tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, on the topic of the mummy and Sam Bass, like you said, it's really interesting. They build this up. Sam Bass orchestrates this assassination, to use the words of Lance Russell, on Jerry Lawler on live TV. And then Sam's gone. Tojo and Lawler unite. They have matches at the Mid-South Coliseum against Hickerson and Green. But Sam Bass isn't there. Sam Bass returns with the mummy. So after Don Green and Phil Hickerson cannot get the job done, Sam Bass turns to the supernatural side for somebody who can finally eliminate the king and maybe pretty me in the tomb of his own. So he reaches out. He doesn't call his mother. He calls his mummy to do the job. I'm talking about a guy who looks exactly like one of the universal mummies. Gosh, you've heard of Abbott and Costello meet the mummy. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Well, this is Lawler and Yamamoto meet the mummy on November 25th, 1974, where Lance Russell attempts to call this action with a straight face. Here comes Lawler. Kojo pushes the mummy over the back of Jerry Lawler. Lawler takes the opportunity to really start pounding him. Sam Bass has Tojo down. And is pounding Tojo. Bass caught Leary of that arm now. Off the ropes. Nails him with a right. Turns him around, but he hadn't put him down. Lawler takes another shot at him. Into the ropes. He got him off his feet that time. Lawler turned around and started for Bass. Bass was having none of that. He took all three steps in one big step and got out of reach of Lawler. Lawler now redirects his attention to the mummy. A tag on Tojo. With a chop. Again. Joe Yamamoto starting to really loosen him up with those chops. Lawler turns him around. Tojo catches him from behind again. The mummy comes over to tag Bass, and Sam wants to have a talk with him. He added a few punches from the outside of the ring on Yamamoto. Tojo going after him that foot flies up kicks him back Lawler with a beautiful drop kick tags Tojo Yamamoto once again Lawler a big drop kick and the mummy having a hard time getting up this time as Lawler stomps him right in the head again a tag on Yamamoto preceded that and here comes Tojo after him he just lifts the mummy up section they solved the problem of getting the mummy off his feet now he's having a hard time getting on his feet 
Lawler looks like he's setting for another one. A big drop kick, and down the mummy goes. Jerry Lawler cut loose both feet, squarely at him. Lawler moves to the corner, says, come on, Sam, let's get in here and pitch a little. goes trucking his way out, heads for the dressing room. That leaves the money solely in the ring. Well, that's where he's been all night, but now he doesn't have a possibility of getting any help from a partner. Lawler covers him, one, two, three, and that's it. The money left to the mercy of Lawler and Tojo. And about that point, Lawler and Tojo said, mm, we'll do it in. And they got a three count immediately as Lawler covered the mummy. Sam Bass forsaking his discovery, the mummy. When he saw Lawler coming after him, he figured it was time to head for the dressing room and left the mummy all by himself in the center of the ring. He staggers around, lost at the present time. He's listing to one side and then the other. Swings at Lawler. He misses him, but Lawler is caught in that vice grip of the mummies. Tojo. Whoa, and Lawler. Looks like he's trying to take the mummy mask off and the referee's trying to break it up. The match is all over with. The mummy rolls out of the ring. Tojo Yamamoto and Jerry Lawler are the victors in the tag bout with the mummy and Sam Bass. <laughs> oh, so that is a testament to the late great Lance Russell because that sounds like incredibly thrilling footage, but you can actually watch this. I'm going to have this on my YouTube channel later on. You can actually watch this match, and uh, if you've never seen the mummy before, let me just tell you, um, he makes uh, George Goulis look like Jack Briscoe. I... <laughs> <laughs> let's, guy, not go, let's not go crazy. I mean, this guy is just, you know, there's so many limitations with the gimmick. And I love, and it's true, Lawler is throwing these beautiful drop kicks. I mean, he looks like Coco Ware jumping Jim Brunzel. I mean, just, and, and what's happening is Lawler and Tojo are going in and out, showing excellent teamwork, keeping the fresh man in. Lawler knocking the guy off his feet with, again, this stunning dropkick. And Tojo is kind of just uh, leaping up a little bit and kind of getting a foot in the midsection. Lance doesn't even know what to call it. <laughs> He's going, and Tojo comes in eh, with the midsection. <laughs> He's not quite sure what to call this thing. It looks like Tojo is sort of thinking about throwing a drop kick, but then thinks better of it. So, uh, but at any rate, and they actually do a little spot there where uh, a little playground thing where Lauren <laughs> gets behind him and Tojo pushes him, knocks the mummy off his feet. And then eventually, how do you really kill the mummy? How do you really do him in for the night? Lance doesn't call it, but Tojo sneaks in that wooden shoe of his. <laughs> It's like a stake in the heart. You hit a mummy with a wooden shoe, and he's done for. And yeah, because Lawler doesn't pin him the traditional way. Lawler just sits on his chest. Yeah. <laughs> he got a teabag. Same. Yeah. <laughs> it's really kind of awkward. <laughs> oh my gosh! Because he just yeah. Because the wooden shoe. The wooden shoe is over, man. Oh, 
Man, oh man, I bet when Tojo was walking, the, if he ever walked the streets of Memphis, nobody went near him if he was wearing those wooden shoes. I wonder how many of those he could have sold at the gimmick table. Oh man, oh man, if they had, if they had only known. If they uh, only knew and only had a carpenter, they could have churned out wooden <laughs> shoes for years. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Dutch Man Tell told me something too. I, I said, you know, Lawler was just a master of coming up with all this great merchandise. How come the rest of you didn't follow suit? And he goes, man, we didn't know how popular we were. You know, time was just flying by so fast. We were going from town to town and, you know, we were passing the time by, you know, telling stories and writing TV. He goes, man, it's because it, it really it was all a blur. We had no idea how big a celebrities we were in Memphis, like mainstream. You know, he knew that people were going to the matches every Monday night, but he had no idea. I can't believe Lance Russell didn't do a ton of commercials. I know Dave Brown did, but uh, Lance would have been the perfect pitchman. Yeah. I mean, Lance alone could have been pitching bananas. <laughs> oh, come on now, Scott. That's, hey. hey, that's too far. Can we get Eddie out of here? Can we get Guy Coffee hey. out of here? <laughs> okay, Dad. Okay, Dad. <laughs> oh, I, uh, but you know, I, I love Lance. And, and again, he had his credibility. Yeah, you know, it was a little silly and he was a showman. But uh, again, I, I just, uh, man, I... I still, I still, it's hard for me to talk about him in the past tense, Brian. I think we should also let the listeners know to wrap up the story of the mummy. This was week three of four. And the next week on December 2nd, 1974 at the Mid-South Coliseum, Jerry Lawler defeated the mummy in a no DQ hair versus mask match. And at that time, Scott, the mummy's identity was revealed. Yes. And it was Tennessee legend, Ron Wright. East Tennessee legend. East Tennessee legend. Sorry, excuse me. And I don't know quite how that, you know, I, I think one, too, I think that's one thing too, that we do have to touch upon because, you know, they're not saying that this is really a mummy. They're acting like this is sort of a psychological ploy that Sam is pulling. And they're also saying, Lawler's going, you know, this, I, you know, although you can't help but laugh when somebody says, you know, I underestimated this mummy, but <laughs> then he starts talking about, you know, this is all what, here's what Sam's done. He's taken this guy, he's wrapped him up in all these bandages. He's loaded. I love the uh, reference to the longest yard kind of gives you an idea of the, the time period. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he's got this steel, you know, these steel bars in his arms and stuff like that. That's why he's walking around so stiff. And that's why nobody can take him off his feet. They're not really saying that he's like a supernatural guy that, that Sam Bass dug up somewhere. Uh, This is, you know, like he had made a trip to Memphis, Egypt or anything like that. Uh, They're just saying that it's more of a psychological ploy, which, uh, which again, a little bit, a little bit of a stretch. You probably wouldn't see that uh, in St. Louis with Sam Muchnick, but in Memphis, it uh, sort of made sense. Yes, they never did explain, though, how Sam Bass was able to convince the Athletic Commission to license (laughs) this mummy. But, you know, like you said, it's logical. If you come out there and say it's a mummy, it's real. There are places that may have worked. You know, Titanus and El Ring had La Momia, a very (laughs) famous character. And, of course, there were various mummies. Jim Cornette later on had Prince Karis, the mummy. And the key is to not pretend it's real. Like yeah. Jerry Lawler explained, this is a guy in a mummy outfit and he's weaponized. Yes. Yes. And he goes, and I love that Lawler line too, where he just lays it on the table. Underneath all that stuff, he's just a man and the king can beat any man. Ah, Lawler, it just 
just gold, just gold. And, uh, you know, Lawler, for whatever reason, he gets uh, the credit or the blame, however you want to look at it, for all the movie monsters that came through Memphis over the years. But really, this is something that had been going on before he started there. Uh, and I think he just helped revive it because he did grow up paying attention to everything pop culture. And I think that that, uh, you know, that worked in Memphis's favor. I think Memphis was a very innovative promotion. Now, granted, you know, you had to kind of endure the, uh, the movie monsters and all that kind of silly stuff. But you also got cutting edge gimmicks when MTV started exploding. Memphis was the first one to really pay attention uh, with all the music videos and the elaborate entrances. I mean, people talk about, I mean, WWE still has not really matched some of the fantastic entrances that Lawler did back in the late 70s and early 80s. Just absolutely. I mean, Lawler was just the consummate showman. And, uh, you know, and again, sometimes that was a good thing. Uh, sometimes, uh, not so good thing, but I tell you, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have wanted to grow up in any other territory, but in Memphis. Well, let's talk about those monsters. Now it was always a sure sign, you know, if the mummy, uh, appeared in Memphis in the seventies, along with guys like Dr. Frank, uh, the Wolfman, the amazing Spider-Man, the Riddler, Kojak, uh gosh all these guys that was a clear indication <laughs> that Lord, yes lord darth vader and i hey and i gotta tell you radamias must be one of the toughest guys going because he actually fought the amazing spider-man to a draw <laughs> so I, I don't know how he quite pulled that off and i think david schultz at one time was working under hood as the riddler and all this kind of crazy stuff but uh so lawler gets either the i don't know how you want to look at it the credit or the blame uh whenever those guys appeared in the territory uh but uh, he was actually I, I guess you know he was actually not the first one to uh to, to dream up this kind of stuff but he i know that you know absolutely Lawler's a big pop culture guy and grew up watching all the universal horror films. And that clearly, clearly uh, paved the way for some of his rather creative gimmicks over the years. Uh, unfortunately, that also led to the Wimpbusters video, which is a, let's save that for another show. Yes, an all-time classic that I'm sure you and I will have to go in depth to discuss clip <laughs> by clip. But it's interesting with Memphis. It's almost like a monster squad or something. All the monsters are there and then they're gone for like 15 years. And then all of a sudden there's a resurgence and there's <laughs> monsters everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Freddy Krueger, uh, I think was played by Tommy Gilbert. It was, but it wasn't the uh, Robert England version. We didn't know this back then, but it was more the Jackie Earl Haley version of Freddy Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> Just a short guy jumping up and down. Right, right. And uh, who was it? Uh, Cowabunga, the wrestling turtle. Uh, I think, gosh, and I think Roddy Gossett came out one time with the Joker makeup and all this kind of stuff. The Dragon but, Master, the Christmas oh, Creature, Tagar, oh, yeah. Lord of the Volcano. You know, I refereed the Christmas Creature's first match. It wasn't Glenn Jacobs' first professional match, but it was definitely his first match in the getup that Kevin Lawler designed. He drew a sketch of it. And Glenn Jacobs' mother made that costume. And the insinuation was that this was a present from Vince McMahon and the WWF to squash Jerry Lawler. And the insinuation was that it was Sid Vicious. I thought the insinuation was that he was a Christmas tree. It's one of the most ridiculous outfits you will ever see on a wrestling show for a giant killer. Well, it always seems like one of those one-off villains in a, you know, a, a, in an issue of the Amazing Spider-Man, like Rocket Racer, or uh, there was like a disco villain at one time, the Hypno Hustler, you know, like that who would have like maybe one appearance in a comic book or one appearance in a match and then disappear forever. But 
Oh my gosh. You know, some things uh, I call it, sometimes I refer to it as the ghost of Memphis wrestling past. And some of the things that uh, appeared in Memphis should have stayed in Memphis, but overall, you know, those gimmicks got over and the fans kind of bought into it as like this can't be fun. And this, uh, you know, and then they would switch gears, you know, they would do like three or four months of this stuff. Jerry Jarrett would take the book and bring in guys like Billy Robinson, Luthez, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So the territory would change uh, every three, four or five months or so and be a completely different product, which helped keep things fresh. With a completely different crew, which is important yes. also. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things about Freddy Krueger when he made <laughs> his appearances is they did a music video for him. And it looks ridiculous. I mean, that's the thing. It's not like because it wasn't HD, you can't tell it's a cheap rubber mask. It looks as cheap as it sounds like it would look. It really does. I mean, all these guys do. The Dragon Master, they have one where he comes out with the big dragon mask on, and he takes it off, and he has another like rubber mask on, and he looks ridiculous. But the Freddy Krueger video I love because I have a slight connection to it. When I was a kid, uh, my family did business with New Line Cinema, and I had everything Freddy Krueger. And... I had that record. There was a record, Freddy Sings. And it was, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and they play one of the songs from that in the Freddy Krueger video. And I always loved it because it's a pretty famous song. If you remember the British invasion, Freddy and the dreamers do the Freddy. And they had a Freddy dance oh. that they would do while they were singing it. Well, the version on the album, which is used in the Memphis video is it's a whole new version of do the Freddy. And there's Freddy screaming throughout it. So it's basically do the Freddy. And then you just hear, it's ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing. And they use that for the promo video for Freddy. But couldn't Freddy only hurt you if you were dreaming? Which And he was uh, a baby face uh, in Memphis. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, of course. <laughs> of course he was a baby face. Why not? <laughs> oh man. Well, Brian, uh I think uh yeah. Man, what a show. I am, uh, I'm about worn out. Uh, I'm so glad that we got to not only play this. Uh, man, this was like so far the tapes have gone through. Man, when I've realized that this was the angle where Sam Bass betrayed Jerry Lawler and uh, launched the King into this kind of funky soul, uh, you know, maybe a little country jive talking King. Uh, <laughs> That's a man, little Ric Flair I, right there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I lo oh, I love it. The, the great thing about that, when he goes, uh, Lawler, you wouldn't be trying to lay a little of that country jive on me, would you? And he kind of pats Lawler on the side, on the rib cage. <laughs> That's one of those, again, one of those little details that I think uh, really uh, helps set the tone for all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But, uh, man, I could do this all day, but, hey, we've only got 90 minutes, and I'm sure we're right at that right now. But we will be back next week with another big episode of Kentucky Fried Wrestling, the podcast. I'm Scott Bowden with my co-host, Brian Last. Uh, you can find me again. I'll plug it for the second time on Twitter at Trav Scott Bowden. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook at Kentucky Fried Wrestling. If you want to go check out some of my old articles, I am in the process of updating my website. I know I've been saying that for a while now, but there are all kinds of great stories on the fabulous Jackie Fargo, Bill Dundee, Jerry Lawler. Uh, there's a fantastic story on the infamous hair match with Austin Idol, Lawler, and Tommy Rich. And it's all at KentuckyFriedWrestling.com. And it's also at KentuckyFriedWrestling.com. Either one will get you to the site. Uh, Brian, do you have a few things you want to plug? 
Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the 605 Super Podcast on Twitter at 605 Pod. And you can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcasts. On Facebook, you can follow the 605 Super Podcast by going to Facebook.com slash Super Podcast. And Kentucky Fried Wrestling is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. All right. Sounds good. We'll be right here. Same time, same channel next week. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you unearth your favorite podcast. You can also go to KFRpod.com and download each and every episode and subscribe to the RSS feed. See you next week, everybody. The announcers on this program are selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of championship wrestling.